Fall camp rolls along. Do we have a quarterback controversy? We'll talk about the emergence of Noah Fafita, as well as some other news and notes from fall camp. You're listening to the Wildcat Sports Report Podcast. Arizona football team just about three weeks away from the season opener at San Diego State. Fall camp rolling along and a lot of news and notes coming out of there. Maybe one of the most curious ones has just been the overall inconsistency of presumed starter Jaden Delara and just how well many people are reporting that Noah Fafita has looked. Um, I know uh, the, within the last couple of days, Fafita running with the threes, was moving the football very well, went up against the ones and actually scored a, a few touchdowns. Uh, conversely, Delara's just been real up and down. Um, you know, some of the people talking to some of the people watching have said that they feel like he's having trouble making quick decisions on the offense. And uh, if there is a complaint about Jed Fish's offense, it's that it is a very complicated NFL-style offense uh, that can be difficult for quick reads, especially for quarterbacks who have played uh, in a quick read spread system. Uh, you know, Delara came from a version of Mike Leach's offense, which is, again, very simple in terms of reads, at least that's the reputation. Um, don't know what he played in high school, but typically... You know, most high school offense is not super complicated, even though they're far more sophisticated than they were when, you know, if you're anywhere near my age, when you were still running wing T and veer and um, through five passes a game or whatever. But uh, Fafita has had some things. And one of the key things uh, that Delar has struggled with is finding some connections with some of these younger receivers, most notably T. McMillan. Uh, Burnett, uh, guys who, of course, you know, Fafita has a personal relationship with, has been playing with these guys since he was a a kid. Um, But it'll be interesting to see if we move forward, because although Jed Fish has not fully said that Jaden Delar is the starter uh, when he was given the bulk of the first team reps, uh, when he has been basically penciled, if not inked in, as the number one quarterback heading into camp, at what point do you pull the switch? Do you pull the switch? Is the offense this season built around his strengths? Um, you know, when with Fafita, he's young, he's a little undersized, maybe a lot undersized, depending uh, on what you're looking for in a quarterback. Uh, he has the ability to preserve his red shirt and play four more years, so... Even if Delara starts the next three, uh, you'd still have two years of Noah Fafita, although I'd have a hard time believing he'd uh, be here uh, three years without seeing the field consistently. Um, so again, it's an interesting decision that Jed Fish may or may not have to make. Again, it could all click. Delara could star in the scrimmage on Saturday and, and carry that momentum uh, into game week and beyond. But if he continues to struggle... 
And Fafita continues to look good. Will we see Fafita get more snaps with the ones? He hasn't had a ton. Will we see him, you know, inch his way towards uh, the the starting spot? And again, right now it appears that Fafita may even be the number three quarterback. Um, now that could be something where if once he plays his four games... Assuming he plays his four games, they need a stopgap emergency quarterback. McLeod would get the the call, and then if you needed a longer uh, reliever, so to speak, maybe they give it to Fafita. Um, but right now, again, most indications are he's probably the third string quarterback, at least in terms of who he's been working with. But McLeod has not looked particularly good. McLeod is throwing a lot of interceptions. Uh, again, here's a guy who missed a lot of time, who's been injured, still coming off injury, so not as worried there. Uh, the bigger concern is if Delara cannot find that consistency. Because I think when we saw that Jaden Delara was coming to Arizona, you know, here's a guy who had a very solid uh, season last year, Pac-12, I think, freshman of the year. Um, but consistency is what you were looking for. You know, you weren't looking for a guy who was going to have one game where he throws for 600 yards, 500 yards, and then, you know, a game where he, he, he poops the bed. You wanted consistency. You wanted solid game-in, game-out performances. Uh, you wanted a steady influence. They're not going to go so far as a game manager, but you want a guy who wasn't going to hurt you, who was going to help you, who was going to play good. You know, if you could count on him every week for between 250 and 300, and a 2-to-1, even 3-to-1 touchdown to interception ratio, I think you'd take that. Uh, you know, we saw last year up-and-down performances. Gunnar Cruz, pretty good week one. Awful week two on the bench from there on out. You know, we saw it within a game, you know, Jordan McLeod, great, awful, great, awful. We saw Plummer, more bad than good, but occasionally would rise up. So I think, again, consistency is what you're looking for in the position, and that's one of the things he has really lacked in fall camp. The other question is, if you do have to pull the trigger and you go to, to Noah Fafita, uh, are you changing the offense? Are you adding even more shotgun? And, and I saw that David Kelly has reported far more shotgun being used this fall camp than last fall camp. That is something to keep an eye on. Uh, but do you have to change the offense if Fafita is the guy? Or do you try to plug and play? Because, again, he has been more consistent uh, than Delora. So, again, we're three weeks away. Uh, all it takes is one really good scrimmage by Delora, and this has become a, uh, a podcast that is already talking in moot points. But I think it's an interesting um, thing to f look at. I think that is a thing if you're going out there Saturday to really consider is which quarterback looks better and which quarterback Maybe we're not even looking at highest ceiling, but who has the lowest floor? Who is the guy who is, again, going to be the most consistent? You would assume it's a guy who's been three years and four years in college football, not the guy who's been uh, on a college campus since January. But, again, sometimes uh, they just may be uh, more talent uh, than we expect. Uh, overcoming experience, I should say. At the running back position, this seems like a jumbled group, to be honest. Um, you know, we heard that due to a maybe not great offseason, you know, that Jonah Coleman may have slipped down the depth chart after having, you know, been a guy some people were going to count on this year. Uh, but of late, he's been getting more work with the uh, higher teams, the, the ones and the twos. Um, 
Coleman seems to be the wild card there. I think the other wild card is DJ Williams, a guy who you know, took a little while, a bit longer to get uh, cleared. Uh, the Florida State transfer at 6'2", He's a bigger uh, running back, um, can get, you know run between the tackles, but is he a guy who can come in and kind of live up to his recruiting hype, or is he a guy who, again, couldn't really crack the rotation in uh, Tallahassee? To me, I still think it's going to come down to Michael Wiley. Um, I think Wiley is more than likely going to be the guy kind of leading the way. I know we they've got Drake Anderson. You've got Stevie Rocker. I think Jalen John is a guy who did uh, some very good things in, in spaces. So it's a deep room, but just how deep is it, I'm not really sure. Um, again, do we have a star running back? Is, again, Ken Coleman... Who again listed at 5'9, 225, another big, strong kid. You know, Jalen John's over 200 pounds as well, 225 as well. So you got some big guys who can run between the tackle because you're going to need them. But I'm very interested to see again, how does this settle out? And then the, the wild card really seems to be uh, Rayshon Speedy Luke. Um, he's undersized, to be sure, especially from a bulk standpoint. Uh, Clocking in somewhere between 160 and 170, uh, 5'9". Uh, he's a guy who, at this stage, does not have the, the muscle mass to take a pounding, to be a 10, 20, you know, 20, 25 carry guy. Nor do I think that's his role. Again, I think they're going to find ways to get him on the field. I think he looks like a dynamic playmaker. Um, but I think you're going to see him line up in the slot. I think you're going to see him run jet sweeps with him. Um reads with them, screens with them, you know, some running between the tackles and around, you know, some option stuff. But I really am curious to see just kind of how do they end up using him uh, because he is dynamic. I mean, he just his speed is, is off the charts. But I just, in looking at him, doesn't look like a guy who's ready uh, physically from a strength standpoint to you know, take that beating that you're going to get at the college level. So I think it's something where you design a handful of plays, you move him around the field, and as he matures physically, he's a guy who can uh, start to see more and more uh, time. Uh, and if he's, again, if he's successful, if he becomes a dynamic playmaker, you know, maybe he does see the field uh, more, and, and, you know, maybe he, he does carry his weight better than he appears to, because right now he appears uh, very skinny. Again, another position, I talked about this with Mike Luke on his podcast, but really seeing some interesting things from this uh, wide receiver uh, position. You know, Jacob Cowling, most people say, I've seen it reported by a few different people, that he is just looks like the best player on the team. Um, you know, he's not the biggest guy, not the fastest guy, but he just makes plays. Um, also talking to people, you know, T. McMillan just doesn't look like other people he looks physically different and uh, you know kind of go back to the Anthony Gimino uh, take when he saw Rob Gronkowski for the first time when he saw Chris McAllister they just look different and there's been a lot of those guys you know over the years who just look physically different than the rest of the guys on the team I don't even go and he didn't have the NFL career or a NFL career but Adam Hall you know, Adam Hall came in and just looked different than the rest of the safeties. Gronkowski was that guy. Even as a freshman, he just looked different. Um, 
to a lesser extent, even a guy like Nick Foles. Nick Foles looked like an NFL quarterback when, you know, as good as Willie Tuitama was, Willie Tuitama was six one six two. Foles comes in at what, six four, six five. Um so T Mac is that guy now. Is he ready to make a immediate contribution as a star? Is he a guy who's gonna you know, he's gonna see the field. Uh, make no mistake, but uh, again, what's his full impact? Um, the other positive news, it sounds like Jamari Joyner, uh, who has battled injury, who I think was always kind of thrust into a bigger role than he should have had. Um, in reality, Joyner is a guy that if he's your somewhere between your third and fifth receiver, that means you have a really good receiving core. But when he's your first or second best receiver, that means there may be some issues. But, you know, when after Cowing and, and McMillan, you've got Dorian Singer, you've got Jamari Joyner, you've got Anthony Simpson. Uh, that's a pretty good crop right there. If that's your top five, uh, you're in good shape. And then there's uh, another dark horse, and that's Kevin Green. Green, not the biggest guy at 5'11", 170. And when you've got a receiver, you know, you got A.J. Jones, who's 6'4". And you've got... Uh, walk-on uh, Rex Haynes, who's an interesting story. His dad, uh, former NFL player, uh, at 6'4". And you've got McMillan at 6'5". You know, suddenly the the 5'11 green doesn't stand out like that, but he's just making plays. Um, so while it might not be this year down the line, uh, you're in good shape. When, you know, when, when guys as talented, potentially, you know, as green... Um, you know, as even a, a you know a guy like a Jaden Clark or, or some of these other guys aren't going to see the field right away because of who else you have uh, ahead of them. That's pretty good. And most of these guys uh, come back. You know, you're gonna even even Cowing looks like he has uh, two years of eligibility if he wants. I know his eyes are on the NFL, so you could have the bulk of this group coming back. But that'll be interesting. See how that shakes out as well. I think. It's more, first of all, you're going to get more on the field. So, you know, when you're going to play three, four, occasionally five receivers, it's a lot easier to find these guys playing time than it is running back or, or, or quarterback. Um, but again, that group of Cowing, McMillan, Singer, Joyner, Green, Simpson, that's just a nice group. It's just overall a nice group to have. And that's not even including the tight end position where. You know, I think you're going to see Alex Lyons and Keon Burnett on the field. How much they get targeted, I don't know. We've, again, that's the running joke. You know, I'll see it when I believe it. But, you know, Burnett was brought in to be a receiving tight end. Um, Burnett. Uh, and at 6'6", 235, you know, he's not... 235 is good size, but that's not a, a road grader blocker. That is a guy who... Again, for an NFL comparison, would probably much see him in more of a Travis Kelsey role um, than one of these guys who lines up as, a, as an extra offensive lineman. I think that might be more of Lines' role in the, in the 250 range. And, you know, who we see after that, uh, I don't know. I think it's those, really those two guys. Um, again, I think I, if I was a betting man, I would say Burnett has more receptions, but Lines probably plays more as plays. Um, but it's interesting. So, again, I think Arizona's receiving core is in very good shape. The bigger question is, and this is something we'll address later, how good is the offensive line? And, and really, how good is the quarterback position? Uh, we, you know, Again, I think there's, again, a lot of potential with DeLara and 
Fafita. But again, consistency is kind of the key there for that position. Recorded the first half of the podcast Friday uh, midday. Also in a different room, so you may hear a slight difference in audio. But as if on cue, Jaden Delara, of course, had a very good day of practice. Maybe his best day of fall camp. So uh, we can't disregard everything that was said in the first half of the podcast. But, you know, did kind of sort of, pre- not, I don't want to say predict it, but said that it was an option that he could rebound. And so apparently he did. Looked very good in practice day by all reports. Today being Friday, so most of you are going to be listening to this Saturday. It's, technically, it's Saturday. It's about 1 o'clock in the morning as I record this. But yeah, so I think the real key thing to look at now, in if you're going to the scrimmage, um, is just, you know, does Delora look comfortable on the offense? Does Fafita uh, make some plays? And just how does Jordan McLeod look? Because I think the big question now is, you know, again... Is Fafita the third string, or is he really secretly battling, or maybe not even so secretly battling, for the starting spot? So throw out the question on Twitter to, you know, see if there's anything people want to know. A good friend of the program, Steve Buchanan, uh, wanted me to talk about Arizona's missed opportunity to go back to grass. If you're going out to the scrimmage, they're going to debut the new turf field. And once they pulled out the turf at Arizona Stadium uh, under Rich Rod, um, and for those of you who don't know, newer fans of the program, at one point Arizona was really known for having some of the best uh, grass field in college football. Unusual knowing the weather in Tucson, but really well-renowned for their field and, and their grounds crew. But that crew, um, I think, had already retired um, by the time Arizona pulled out the field. But now you're at the point where it becomes a cost issue. And unfortunately... Because I would much prefer grass, even though the new turf fields are way better than they were, you know, for those of us who uh, grew up watching football in the 80s when it was basically a carpet on concrete. Um, But although you spend a lot in the initial installation, um, it's much cheaper to upkeep. Uh, It becomes something where you don't have to have a full-time crew dedicated just to growing and maintaining grass. You You have a crew there who knows how to take care of it. Uh, the company comes in and, and does a cleaning every so often. Um, it's just, again, you, you shell out the initial cost, and then from there, the expense is cheaper, and that's, I guess, you know where we're at in Arizona football. But, yes, I would have loved to have seen uh, a natural turf. Uh, Zonacat fan, who's ZonacatFab44 on Twitter, wants to know, how much does the amount of likes or recruit social media visits or posts um, when they post a top five graphic or, a, you know, uh, an announcement of the decision, how much, uh, does the likes by a specific school, um, impact the recruit? And, and I would say it just depends on the recruit. Um, some of these kids absolutely adore the attention. Others do it, but really just, you know, are going to go where they go. I think it is more important now in the era of name and image and likeness, um, when you're looking for a school with a lot of fan support, you can assume, rightly or wrongly, that you're going to have a lot more NIL opportunities. I would say this. I think we're going to see a transformation of NIL. It's going to more resemble the model that kind of Arizona's already been doing, where a guy like Dallin Terry can go sponsor an ice cream company or, you know, a local company can sponsor a guy, or you can sell your own shirts and things like that. 
And again, if you're looking at that, you're going to look at which schools has the most supportive fan base. Um, and Arizona's probably more active on social media than they actually are active in the community as fans. I think the fans are, are pretty active on social media compared to the interest I think they have necessarily in Arizona Stadium. Obviously, basketball is a whole different monster. Uh, so I think, again, it, it's going to depend on kid to kid, but as name and likeness evolves and as I think we get into a more uh, a model that's going to more resemble uh, true I want how do you want to say this um, free enterprise where you are going to have to back up you, you're not just going to be able to throw money at the kids you know a bunch of boosters aren't just going to create a pool you're actually going to have to I don't want to say sell yourself but actually have a you know if, if you promote an ice cream company and come come meet you know Dal and Terry and 10 people show up he's going to make less than if 200 show up or, or whatever the case may be so in that case I think it could be important um, finally uh, Tom Henry uh, let's say in a couple years TJ McConnell retires from the NBA and decides to be a college assistant does he end up at Xavier or Arizona I would say this, I'm going to add this, or the NBA. Um, it's interesting because I know at one point McConnell wasn't super interested in coaching was the rumor. Um, although we see him as a, uh, you know, a hard-nosed player, a guy who knows the game, has a great feel for the game. Talking to some people close to the program, he was far less a scholar of the game than, say, a Solomon Hill and far more a guy with just a great feel for the game. Uh, does that mean he couldn't succeed as a coach? No. Um, I think it, if it, what it would come down to, to be honest, is just who had an opening. Um, obviously, he has the relationship with Sean Miller, so Xavier would probably be a better option in that regard. But don't forget, this is a guy who might wind up in the NBA as an assistant or could go back towards home in Pittsburgh, or maybe you know, coach somewhere around Indianapolis, where or even Philadelphia, where he played. So he has ties to all those. But I would say of the two, with the existing relationships, um, Xavier would make more sense. However, you know, if his heart really is in Tucson, then maybe you wait for that opportunity. And I lied. We do have one more. Uh, Arizona Wildcats guru. Uh, wants to know who else could Arizona target in the 2023 recruiting class. Also, same question for women's. I'll get to women's later because I have to do a little more research, to be honest. Right now, the only real name that we're seeing with the men's program, and again, this is an interesting question because on Friday, Mookie Cook uh, reestablished his commitment to Oregon. Uh, no one was surprised. Uh, once Kwame Evans uh, committed there, it would look like a no-brainer that Mookie Cook would follow him. Um, and some two really good pickups, but I, I think it comes down to Phoenix's own Cody Williams or probably a European player. Uh, for those of you who uh, don't know, Williams, 6'8 wing out of uh, Perry High School in the Phoenix area. A uh, guy who's really blown up of late, has really emerged uh, prior to some of these summer camps and spring showcases. Uh, he was looking at schools like Santa Clara, where his brother plays, and, and Loyola Marymount. Now he's uh, you know scheduled to take a visit to Colorado, but bigger schools are getting involved. And uh, I think, to me, if Arizona really puts the full-court press on him, they'll have a very good chance at landing Williams. Otherwise, yeah, right now I think 
while they have some interest in some high school guys, that's really the only offer out there. And we know how Tommy Lloyd is stingy with the offers, like it or, or dislike it. Have heard rumblings, um, mostly on message boards, that uh, you know there is already some European targets. Uh, don't have any names, and uh, a couple countries have been rumored, but that would be just pure speculation at this point. So I'm not going to uh, to get into that. And I think the transfer market's at play. Because I don't know how, you know, Arizona has a very good chance, honestly, of getting most of these guys back from this year's roster. You know, I think Ramey's the only true senior, you know. There's a very realistic chance you could get the bulk of this roster coming back. You throw, you know, Williams into that mix, and that's a very nice thing. Uh, but, you know, let's say in theory, Tabella, Spalo, Visar, and uh, Anderson all come back, then you don't need another big. Um, unless you want a developmental big. Who's your fifth big who's not going to play? You know, if Larson Ball uh, all come back, you know, do you really need another wing on top of, you know, maybe one other you're going to bring in? So I think it is very interesting. But I think at this point in time, it's kind of Cody Williams or bust, at least for the high school prospects. Unless someone emerges, unless someone decommits. Um, but even then, the, the summer recruiting sessions are over. Um, you'd have to almost discover a guy during high school ball. That's why I think maybe your best case scenario would be a decommitment rather than a late bloomer or a guy emerging late. But again, uh, stranger things have happened in recruiting and uh, the Williams recruitment does look like it could be a little bit of an odd one. So to all those of you who are rooting for Jaden Delora, for all those of you who are rooting for Noah Fafita, and all of you who are stalking, cyber stalking Cody Williams, bear down. <laughs>